how are we doing, everybody? We doing okay? All right, do you like the person you sat with? It's too late to change. But uh, those of you online, great to have you guys able to jump in and join with us here. Um, so this morning, as you would have already heard, we've got a big focus on life groups that are starting back up again in the next few weeks. Um, and I gotta tell you for myself, um, as long as I've been a Christian, I've been a part of churches that have had a big emphasis on small groups. And I can't say, um, I can't exaggerate how important a life group has been in my own life and how it's meant for me and getting people around me that are gonna give me uh, leadership and guidance and sometimes you need an uppercut, come on somebody. Uh, and groups have been that for me and so I'm a big fan of groups not just because this is what we do as a church and so we're promoting it. I'm just letting you know from the bottom of my heart, I'm so appreciative for the role that small groups have played in my life. So if you've never been a part of one, this is the best semester for you to try one for the first time. There's a bunch of great groups. And I'm going to tell you, I'm ridiculously excited um, about having an app. I'm almost like a child with this kind of stuff, and so I'm real happy. So if I look out today among church and there's just a bunch of people with their heads down and their faces are glowing, um, I'll assume it's either the Holy Spirit working in a very noticeable way or it's people downloading the app. But either way, it is fine with me. But I'm so glad that you were able to come hang out with us today. Um, my name's Tom. I'm able to serve here at the church as the executive pastor, and any chance I have to come and share is always a joy. And today is no different. Uh, today we're going to be kicking off uh, a series that I've been um, sort of looking at over the last few weeks as I've just been prepping and getting some thoughts down. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, I'm excited about what we're going to dig into. We're going to be looking uh, at the uh, portion of Scripture in the Old Testament, uh, Isaiah 53. And this portion of Scripture, uh, the New Testament writers deemed this portion of Scripture to be important because Isaiah 53 is either quoted or alluded to more than in the whole Old Testament. And so this, uh, this, uh, you know, this, uh, it, essentially it's a song, and we're going to get into it in just a moment, but this song uh, is of such big importance uh, in the estimation of the people who wrote the New Testament that it is mentioned, it is quoted, it is alluded to more than anything else in the whole of the Old Testament. And Paul tells us in Galatians that the role of the Old Testament is essentially to lead us by the hand towards Jesus. And so the role of the Old Testament is to help bring us to a point of understanding of who Jesus is, what it is that he came to accomplish, the kingdom that he came to institute, how God used his son to heal a broken relationship between humanity and himself. And the whole Old Testament gets us ready so that when Jesus is born, as we flip over the page to the New Testament, we're ready to understand who Jesus is, the significance of who this person is, of the special relationship, the fact that he is the unique son of God and the only one that could go to the cross to pay for the sins of you and I. And so that's the role of the Old Testament is what we get from Paul the Apostle. And so even the first three quarters of the, old, of the Bible, which is the Old Testament before the birth of Jesus, is all to bring us to that point of understanding of who he is. And one book that I read this week uh, regarding Isaiah 53 said that this portion of Scripture is mentioned uh, 34 times in the New Testament, which is more than any other. So I can't quantify that 34 times, but that's at least what I read, and it sounded like it was from someone that was smart that knew what they were talking about. You know what I'm saying. And so over the next few weeks, uh, the next few times that I'm able to come and share with you, we're going to look at this passage, and we're going to go through it. And we're not necessarily going to dig into it line by line, but rather we're going to pick out a number of different themes that come up from this passage, and we're going to start considering that theme and what it means for you and I in 21st century America, uh, and what it means to be believers with these verses and these promises, and what the Lord has to say, and what Isaiah wrote down thousands of years ago, and what it means for you and I. Um, and so today, the theme we're going to look at is that of crucifixion. 
And we're going to look at crucifixion today and what Isaiah 53 can help us in our understanding of what crucifixion means, what it, uh, what it can teach us about who Jesus is, the significance of Jesus, and hopefully there's some stuff here that's going to be helpful. But the first verse we're going to go to today isn't going to be from Isaiah, but rather it's going to be from Ecclesiastes. And this is a verse that I read recently, that, uh, and you'll see why this helps us with, uh, with today. But Ecclesiastes 5.4, when you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through. For God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. And this sentiment from Ecclesiastes is found elsewhere in the Bible. In the book of Numbers, it says that if you make a vow, you have to do everything that you said you would do. Jesus says, let you yes be yes and you no be no. And the teaching that we get, and again, this is throughout the Bible, is that people should have confidence in what we say. You know, don't just go making vows. Don't just be blurting stuff out. Don't just shoot from the hip. If you say it, follow through. If you make a promise, follow through. How many parents have found that your kids will remember every single promise you have ever made? And if you don't follow through, they will also remember every promise you didn't follow through on. But it is something that this should be something that among the lives of believers, that our word is our bond, that our promises hold weight. Now, the reason I bring this up is because if this is what God is expecting of his people, if this is something that the Lord is saying throughout the Bible for you and I to live up to is that our word, our promises mean something. They have validity. They have weight. It's something you can trust. It's something you can rely on. Then what does that say about his character? If he is saying to us, your word needs to mean something, your promises need to mean something, what does that say about him? If he is putting that expectation on us, I think it is fair and I don't think it is inappropriate for us to return that expectation onto him. If he is expecting our words to carry weight, I think it is perfectly fair, perfectly appropriate for us to expect his words, his promises to also carry weight and be something we can rely on. If he's putting that on us, I don't feel it is wrong to say that about him. A part of this leading of us to understand Jesus that we get from the Old Testament uh, is that there is a promise um, that is threaded throughout the Old Testament, uh, the promise of a rescuer, of a Messiah, someone that is going to fix the brokenness of humanity, someone that would uh, restore a right relationship with God, a Savior that we desperately need. And the promise of a Messiah that we can see throughout the Old Testament, it wasn't something that was said once, and there's a great speech or a great passage where this concept and this idea and this promise of a Messiah is just laid out, but rather it's a promise that is built upon throughout the whole Old Testament. So for instance, you look at uh, Adam and Eve, they get a piece of the promise. And then you look at Abraham, and he got a piece of the promise. And then you sort of look forward to Moses, and Moses got a piece of the promise, and David got a piece of the promise. And, and it built and built over the Old Testament, over the timeline in the Old Testament. By the time we get to Isaiah, this promise was, was pretty matured and pretty well understood. We'd already had, you know, Adam and Eve had had a piece of this promise. We, we sort of got that, and then Moses built upon that, and Abraham built on that, and David built upon that. And so this promise of a Messiah was pretty much on people's minds as we get to the book of Isaiah when the Israelites were at possibly the lowest that they have ever been. And this promise of a rescuer, the promise that the brokenness of the world would come, promise that there is going to be peace, the promise that God is able to fix the brokenness of humanity. It's on everybody's minds. There's this understanding of a promise. And we're going to read through uh, the whole portion of Scripture. I'm not going to pretend to you it's short, but I promise there's good stuff in here. And we're going to read the whole thing, and if you're wondering, the next time we talk about Isaiah 53, we'll read it all again, 
Um, and what's funny about it, and I don't want to say Megan is OCD about stuff, but she's not not OCD about stuff. The fun thing is that this song that makes up Isaiah 53 actually starts in Isaiah 52. So she has major problem that we've just called this series Isaiah 53 because it isn't accurate. What can I do? I, I'm not in control of this stuff. But to read Isaiah 53, we're going to be signing in Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted, but many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. For they will see what they had not been told. They will understand what they had not heard about. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as sheep, uh, sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear the, all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier, because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Now, as I read through that, I'm aware that it is a long passage of scripture, and I'm going to guess that many different things jumped out from one person to the next. And even though this is a packed portion of scripture, and we are going to look over a number of different themes that come up repeatedly over the next few weeks, but for today, we're going to look at what it has to say about uh, crucifixion. And it's important to remember as we talk about the idea of crucifixion that is laid out in Isaiah 53, and we're going to get into some of the details in just a moment. But the crucifixion is the central moment, not only of the Bible, but I would even say of the whole of human history. The crucifixion is the, the central moment. It is the key moment of all of human history. Uh, it's almost if you can think um, back, especially to an older house. When an older house was built, the whole house was structured around the fireplace. 
It would have the fireplace, and there was an understanding that the heat that came from the fireplace, it needed to permeate the entire house. And so the house was built around the fireplace so that the whole house would feel the positive benefit of it. And I think it's completely fair to look at the Bible the same way. The whole Bible is built around the fact that God would rescue humanity. God would send a Savior, and the Savior would pay the price that we never, ever could on the cross. And so the Bible, in lots of ways, is built around the, uh, the, the crucifixion that would happen. And this verse is certainly no different. And so we're going to look um, at a few verses. And Isaiah gives many examples. One of the ones, and the first one I want to draw your attention to, is verse 3. And uh, all the verses we're going to go through, and I'll let you know now, there is going to be a number of them. They're all on the screens. If you have your Bible or if you normally follow along using the Bible app on your phone, don't worry about trying to follow along necessarily. It's all going to be on the screen for you. But Isaiah 53.3, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Now, this verse, um, if we were, you know, going with the traditional understanding of the Old Testament leading us to an understanding of Jesus, leading us to an understanding of the significance of the cross, if we were scanning the Old Testament for verses that pointed to the cross, I think it's reasonable to think that that verse is one that would get our attention. You know, as it talks about Jesus being despised and being rejected and there being deep grief and he was despised and we didn't care. I mean, these are things that come up in the crucifixion. But there are things that go even further. Verse 11 looks more at the kind of theology of what happens. When we see all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous for he will bear all their sins. I mean, I certainly think that we would read into that, that this is looking forward to the crucifixion. As we think about the fact that, you know, we are able to be made uh, righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross. We're going to look at that in another few weeks. But there are these verses that just definitely spring up this idea of, oh yeah, yeah, this is pointing to the crucifixion. But this, these verses and these uh, broad picture verses are really the tip of the iceberg of some of the verses we just read. I want to pick up this one, um, verse 5, but he was pierced for our rebellion crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. And he was whipped so we could be healed. Now this verse, I got real excited this week as I was going through this, but this verse is mirrored shockingly well in the New Testament, in the four gospel accounts. But he was pierced for our rebellion. And in John's gospel, one of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear. And this is Jesus on the cross after he breathed his last. They pierced his side, crushed for our sins. In Matthew's gospel, he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. This is Jesus praying in Gethsemane before he was arrested. He was beaten so we could be whole. In Luke's gospel, the guards in charge of Jesus began mocking and beating him. This is when Jesus was first arrested. He was whipped so we could be healed. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate, this is in Mark's gospel, released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. This is the physical torture Jesus endured before being nailed to the cross. Pierced, crushed, beaten, whipped. The same words that are used in Isaiah to point people towards a future savior are the same words that are used in all four gospels 
to help bring understanding of what it is that Jesus did that day for you and for me, pierced, crushed, beaten, and whipped. But things get even more specific. Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and treated harshly. And in Matthew, then they began to spit in Jesus' face and beat him with their fists. And some slapped him, jeering, prophesy to us, you Messiah, who hit you that time? This is after the religious leaders decided he was guilty. Back to Isaiah, yet he never said a word. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. Back to Isaiah, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. And just like Isaiah said twice that Jesus remained silent, the New Testament says it twice, that Jesus remained silent. But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges that they are bringing against you? Pilate demanded, but Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. And this is as the religious leaders are trying to convince the Romans to crucify Jesus. Back to Isaiah, unjustly condemned, he was led away. Unjustly, unjustly condemned. If you know the story of Jesus and you know the story around the crucifixion, the trial around the crucifixion, you'll definitely know that this was unjust. There were false witnesses that were brought in. Judas even tried to reverse his testimony. The religious leaders were working the crowd up into a frenzy to call for the blood of Jesus. Pilate's complete mishandling of the trial by releasing a notorious criminal instead of Jesus. And Pilate symbolically washing his hands of the whole thing, knowing full well that Jesus was innocent, unjustly condemned, absolutely, is what we see in the trial of Jesus. Back to Isaiah. But he was buried like a criminal. And Paul describes it this way. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Back to Isaiah. He was put in a rich man's grave. Matthew's Gospel as evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. And sort of going through it, a little bit line by line, picking out a verse here and finding something corresponding in the New Testament, I would go as far as to say it is unmistakable that this is Isaiah, God using Isaiah and revealing to Isaiah that there is no doubt that what is written about here in Isaiah 53 is Jesus and the specific event was the crucifixion. And I have one very simple point and one very simple truth that I want all of us to get from this. We've been through it line by line. We've read a lot of Bible verses. But there's one thing that I want us to get, and if you get nothing else from today, I'm perfectly okay with it. The simple thing is this, that complete confidence in God is completely reasonable. Complete confidence in God is completely reasonable. Because if God can lay out the specifics of the crucifixion long before they happened, what does that teach us about how completely reasonable it is to put confidence in him for our lives? The crucifixion happened 700 years after Isaiah wrote these words down. 
700 years after the Lord revealed to him, this is what's going to happen. This is a significant moment. This is how it's all going to go down. Here's some details. I mean, we're talking about rich man tombs. We're talking about the way that Jesus was beaten, the way that the mistrial happened, all these details that came together. And it is God's way of saying, okay, 700 years from now, you're going to see this unfold in people's lives. This whole verse is packed with theology. But for today, I just want us to focus that it is filled with these details about the crucifixion. And it is simply amazing to me that 700 years later, we would see these come to pass one by one. We see God fulfilling the plan that he laid out to Isaiah. I mean, imagine somebody went to my mom, rewind 37 years, mom's pregnant with little baby Tom. And somebody said to my mom, you know what, this baby, I've got a feeling it's gonna be a son. And when he grows up, he's gonna marry an American. You'd be pretty fascinated when you see that come to pass. Well, what if this person went even further and said, you know what, I actually think he's going to grow up and live in New York State, and he's going to have three kids, two of them are going to be twins, he's going to be 6'2", and he's going to have a weird obsession with Bob Dylan. <laughs> that would get your attention, right? This is what we're dealing with. This is a silly, that's a silly example of what we're talking about, that years, centuries, before this became fulfilled, before this became unraveled before our eyes, we see God laying this out. And what does that teach us about how much faith and confidence we can put in him? And Isaiah writes, in the passage we read, that this is the Lord's good plan. And it was his plan for a lot longer than 700 years. But here we see that it was revealed 700 years before it happens. And 2,000 years later, we still get to be included in what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And what I, find, um, what I find somewhat fascinating, and I mean this about myself, but my experience of working with people and listening to other believers in conversation, my time as a, you know, in church leadership, is that as Christians, I think we find it so much easier to have confidence that our eternity is secure than we do to have confidence that the day-to-day -day is going to be okay. And if the whole point of today is, is just to communicate that a complete confidence of God is completely reasonable, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me and my experience of listening to others that the confidence that I have for my eternity is not something I spend time worrying over. I believe my confidence, my, my eternity is secure in Him. I believe that when I take my final breath, I will go and I will step into an eternity with Jesus as my Savior, and it's going to be amazing. That is not something that I spend a lot, of, a lot of time questioning for myself. What I do, however, spend my time questioning is, oh, Lord, what are we going to do about that? Oh, Lord, what's going to happen about this? Oh, I don't like what I'm seeing online right now. Oh, I these are things that constantly keep me awake. And maybe you're in the same boat. I read this this week, and uh, it was great timing. I think this is good timing for you. It's good timing for me. It's good timing for our nation. Matthew 7, 24, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Now, let me backpedal to Ecclesiastes. We've already heard that God is not about just blurting stuff out, shooting from the hip. He's not just about saying empty stuff. He's about saying stuff that carries weight, that is worthwhile, and is trustworthy. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. 
like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now I wish that this passage that I just read from Matthew, this is Jesus talking, I wish that the promise was that if you're a Christian, there will be no storms in life. Sadly, that isn't the promise. But the promise is that the storms don't have to destroy you. The confidence that we can have is that if our lives are built on him, we can have confidence that the storms will not be the final chapter of our lives. It will not be the end of our story. It will not be what does us in. The storms will come. But if we're rooted and we're dug down deep in him, we can have the confidence that the same God who 700 years earlier was able to predict what his son was gonna do on a cross for you and for me is the same God that can work together and work on a much higher scale and a much higher level than you and I can ever fathom and where our lives can be safe in him and whatever storm may come, it will not wipe us out. And we can have a supreme confidence in that, whether it's something to do with the pandemic that's happening, whether it's something financial happening in your life, whether there's a relational difficulty you're having right now, whether there's a family problem that you're going through right now. These are very real storms. I would hate it if it came across that I was up here and, and I was belittling the storms that you're up against right now. That isn't what I'm about. It's not what I believe. I don't believe it's what God is about. I don't believe that's what he wants to do in our lives. But I do believe that it's important we remind ourselves that the confidence we can take because he's able to say 700 years before the crucifixion how the crucifixion is gonna play out, we can have confidence that he is in control of our lives and it is safe for us to put our trust in him. If you believe it, would you give me a big old amen? It was um, uh, yesterday, so very recent for me. Um, my son Moses and I, Moses is seven, and uh, we, Megan and I, we take turns having some one-on-one -on -one time with the kids on the weekend. So yesterday I'm with Moses, and he wanted to go to the high ropes course at Destiny Mall. Anybody else done this? Okay. So um, it's not the first time we've been, but I do remember the first time. It was he and I, and um, we went on there. And the 70-foot drop, I mean, that's what they say. I think it's more like 300-foot drop once you're up there. But as we're kind of up there, I'm kind of like, oh, goodness. And I'm kind of like, having a, oh, and I've got my son next to me, he's seven, and I'm just like, oh, gosh, one of us is going to fall. And in a moment of sort of, you know, oh, my goodness type thing, uh, the instructor there, the person that works there, they said something that really kind of brought some relief. The person said a simple thing. They just said, um, you know, we've been open seven years, and we've never had an incident. And my first thought was like, well, yeah, of course you haven't had an incident. It only takes one, and you're shut down forever. But it gave me this reassurance. There was something about the way that she said, we've been open seven years. We've never had a problem. It just gave me this confidence of like, oh, we're going to be okay. I mean, I went back twice. It can't be that bad, right? So it just kind of gave me this confidence, you know, just somebody saying something like that. I'm like, okay. And that is, you know, it's a silly example, I know, but it, it does kind of remind me of what we're talking about today. As we hear in from, you know, from the words of Jesus, that when the storms come, it doesn't have to wipe you out. Build your life on me, and you can sustain. Build your life on me, you can keep going. Build your life on me, and you can get up and fight another day. Build your life on me, and I can bring relief. Build your life on me, and you can have peace, even though the wind and the waves are pounding. You know, that, 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 that's not a small thing. 
That's not a small thing. Once we realize that, you know, that confidence that we can have in God, it is, it is right for us to feel that. It is justified that we feel that. Psalm 8, verse 3. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, when I look outside, when I take a step outside on a clear night and I look up and I see all the stars and I just remember how incredible you are, how majestic you are, how powerful you are, how there is no one like you, there is no one above you, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care? The God of the universe that is working on a much higher plane and a bigger scale than you and I could ever hope to wrap our heads around, cares deeply about you and about me and about our everyday. Those things, those little storms, those things that are causing you a distraction right now, that are, are causing you to freak out, that are causing concern, that are causing worries, they're real things. I'm certainly not trying to belittle the challenges you're up against right now. But I do believe we need to have a confidence that the God of the universe cares deeply and if we can have a confidence in him for our salvation, if we can have a confidence in him for our eternity, I think it also makes sense that we have a confidence that he cares deeply about what is going on here and now and the everyday things that we are up against. And maybe it'll be helpful if on a clear night, not like today because it's snowing, but on a clear day, on a clear night, we step outside and we just look at the stars and we remember not only are you the God that puts the stars in the sky, but you're the God that cares about the things I care about right now. Take a step outside and just see the splendor of creation, the splendor of the universe. As just a reminder to ourselves, you know what? You can put those stars in the sky. You can certainly get my act together. You can certainly help get things in order. You can make a way where there doesn't seem to be any other way. You can bring healing where there doesn't seem to be healing. You can bring relief when I'm grieving. You can bring financial support when that's needed, when there's needed provision. Whatever it is, Lord, you are able to make a way. If you can put the stars in the sky, and if you can say 700 years before it happens how the crucifixion is going to go down, it is right that I trust you with my life. God has a plan. That's what we read in Isaiah. And the same confidence that I have for my eternity, I want to have for today. I want to have for the, the things that are coming up, whether there's a relational problem or whether there's a financial stress or whether there's a health problem that's going on or whether there's what, what, all the different stresses that we would find out. Even all the different conflicts that are happening in the country right now, all the different upheavals that we're seeing, all the things that you would point to and say, this is a problem. I don't like this. I wish this was different. All these things, I want to have the same confidence that God is over it and God is bigger than it. Be the same confidence that I have that my eternity is secure in him, I want to have for the little things every single day. And I believe that if my life is built on him, I don't have to worry that the storms are going to take me out. That the creator of the universe, that he cares about me so deeply, that he's demonstrated such a deep love for me. And that if he can reveal that to Isaiah... 700 years, an incredible detail. I believe that a complete confidence in God is completely reasonable. And as we've talked about the, the cross a lot today and the crucifixion, I felt it was important to remind us of this verse from Hebrews 12 too. Because of the joy awaiting him. It's talking about Jesus. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Now it doesn't say that the cross was joyful. But it does say that the other side of the cross was joyful. And what's the joy? What was Jesus' motivation for enduring the cross? You and me. 
being able to step into a right relationship with him, for us to be able to love him and for him to love us right back, for him to be able to call us white as snow, for him to be able to say to us, I do not count all the junk of your past against you anymore. It is a fresh start. You are a new creation in Christ. That is the joy that was set before him. So the confidence that we have, the confidence that he's able to make promises 700 years before fulfilling them on the cross, and what motivated Jesus to go through an experience so awful I can't even imagine it, was because the creator of the universe, the one that put those stars in the sky, loves us beyond any human description. That's something worth being confident about, amen? I got a couple of questions and hopefully these are helpful. And as you go about your week this week, maybe I'll have a chance to pray about these a little bit and uh, maybe it's even worth talking about with somebody, but hopefully these are helpful to you. The first question I have is that, are you confident that both your eternity and your everyday are safe with God? Are you confident that both your eternity and your everyday are safe with God? And the second question, how does confidence in God change your view? How does a confidence in God change your view? Your view of a, uh, of a painful relationship, of an argument that hasn't been resolved yet. How does your confidence in God uh, affect how you think about the political environment right now? How does your confidence in God get you thinking about how different cultural things or the pandemic that's happening right now, your confidence in God, if there is a true confidence in God, the kind of confidence that I wanna have, how will it change my view of life? How will it change my view of the people around me? How will it change my view of my responsibilities and what's mine to take care of and the kind of person that I need to be? If I have this confidence in God that the one that put the stars in the sky can put my life together again, how does that change my view? As we've talked about the crucifixion, it would be uh, certainly very strange if I didn't take the opportunity to share with you once again my favorite verse from the whole Bible. A verse that there's a long story about why this is my favorite verse, and maybe one day I'll have a chance to share it with you, but it's from Romans 5, verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. How does God demonstrate his love for us? How does God prove his love for us? How does God scream the love that he has for humanity throughout the ages, for millennia, by sending Christ to die for us, by what he did on the cross, while we were still sinners, while we're in the middle of our mess, while we're broken, hurting, the list of regrets seems to be absolutely out of control, before we ever even tried to apologize, before we ever even tried to clean ourselves up, before we ever even tried to make amends for whatever it is that we've done, Christ died for you and he died for me. That's how we know God loves us. And the whole Old Testament, the whole of human history as God interacts with humanity is him promising, I'm gonna take care of this. I'm gonna fix this up. There's gonna be a savior. He's gonna be a king of kings. He's gonna be a Lord of lords. He's gonna be a messenger like never before. He's gonna be a rescuer. And as we read in Isaiah, he's gonna suffer an awful fate to make this possible. And he did it so that we could have a relationship with God. And you may be here today and this may be the first time you've ever come to Word of Life Church. It may be the first time you've come to any church. I don't know, but you're here.
And in a moment of honesty, you'd be open to say, you know what, I'm at that point where I believe that God is for real. I believe he sent his son to die for me. I believe I need to put my trust in him, but I, I haven't. And my relationship with God is broken. And that may be you here today. Maybe you prayed a prayer a long time ago. Maybe you used to follow God, but you've drifted for whatever reason. Or maybe you've never ever known what it's like to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. Before we're done today, I wanna take a chance to pray. And if this is you, I want you to be included in this prayer. If you're ready to say, yep, I'm gonna follow God. I'm done trying to figure it out for myself. I wanna follow him. So I wanna invite everyone here, if you just close your eyes and bow your heads, this just gives a, a moment of privacy and a moment of discretion to people around us so that we can focus on what really matters right now. But if this is you, and you be honest enough and brave enough today to say, you know what, Tom, this is me. I'm not following God, but I wanna start. I'd love to pray for you. So if that's you today, if you could put up your hand, those of you in the worship center, those of you online, you can click the button that says, I raise my hand. Amen. Anybody else here today? We're not gonna do anything to embarrass you. We're not gonna do anything weird. But when we pray, you wanna be included. If you could just raise your hand just so I know who we're praying for. Amen. Amen. Anybody else here today? Amen. Thank you. Amen. I don't want to prolong this, but if this is you, don't let the moment pass by. Anybody else here, online, in person, anybody else saying, you know what, when you pray, I want to be included. I want to follow God today. Amen. I'm glad we waited for you. Amen. Come on, Word of Life Church, can we please celebrate people making the best decision they can ever make. Amen. We're going to pray a prayer together, and the words are going to be on the screen. And I want to invite everyone here to pray along out loud with me, believing this is going to encourage somebody around you. So come on, everyone, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody, let's welcome an incredible decision. Amen. Well, for those of you online, if you made that decision, you prayed that prayer for the first time, or you prayed that, that prayer believing it's going to reignite a relationship with God, let somebody know. Hit that button that says, I raise my hand. For those of you that are here in person in just a moment, Megan and James are going to let you know about some next steps that we have that might be helpful to you. But I'm so glad I was able to come spend some time with you here today. Um, life groups, come on somebody. So any question about that? Make sure you get those uh, figured out. But right now, Megan James can let you know what's coming up in the church.